Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service, where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today. We've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit that God's been putting on my heart is the fruit of peace. And um, I was just thinking about Canada. It's Canada Day, and I was just thinking about what are some of the things that define Canada? So a couple of the things. I went online, um, Google Wikipedia. They'll give you all kinds of information real quick. And um, I, got, I put together a little bit of a list of what they said were the top things that Canadians are known for. So worldwide, what are we known for when someone says Canada? What comes to mind? So first thing, now these aren't in order of importance, except maybe the first three were the ones that came up the most. Um, the first three came up the most. So the first one was hockey. You say Canada, people think hockey. Right after that, they think brutally cold winters. <laughs> so that's why they think that's all we can do. They must play hockey because that's all they can do when it's winter. So those were top two. The third one that came up was maple syrup. Okay, so a lot of people know of Canada. They think of Canada, they go maple syrup. That's where it comes from. Awesome. So then there are some other ones, not in list of importance, that came up. Um, they think of Tim Hortons. Okay, so I had to have a Tim Hortons drink up here rather than just water today. I thought that was very Canadian to do. Um, they think polite, of people who... Uh, apologize about everything. So when I was down in the U.S., um, a couple people remarked to me that if you bump into a Canadian, if they walk into a Canadian, the Canadian will apologize to them. Oh, I'm sorry. I must have been in your way. You know, and that kind of shocks them. So they, I've heard that mentioned to me a couple times. We're known for the word A, if it is a word. Um, in Canada, it is. Uh, Niagara Falls, we're known for a healthcare system. We are known for Justin Bieber. Whether you think that's a great thing or not, we are known for him. Poutine. Yeah, I heard a couple people there. Okay, got some poutine lovers. Wayne Gretzky comes to mind. He came up again and again. Uh, we're known for igloos. Once again, that idea that we're brutally cold winters. That came up. Uh, the next thing that came up was Don Cherry. Okay, yeah. So he's not your prototypical Canadian. Um, then we were known for moose, okay, and lakes and rivers. Just a big, big land with all kinds of different features and some wonderful wildlife. And then there was one that kept coming up on every list, and it was we are known for peace, a peace-loving nation, a place that values peace, and in fact, I read in a couple places that many people actually believe one of our defining characteristics is that we are a peace-loving nation. And not only do we love peace, but as a nation, we have... Did I do something there? It's the cord? Okay. Oh, okay. So I should move slowly. Just in case. This is good. Look at that. We got two sound guys helping me out here. This is amazing. I need all the help I can get. So we, uh, we're known for peace. Uh, many people say that's our defining thing. So over the years, Canada has worked for peace. Um, after World War II, we've been 
so involved in peace, peacekeeping missions. We were one of the nations that started the UN. Lester B. Pearson won a Nobel Peace Prize as a part of um, a movement that birthed the UN. And we've been very involved at going to nations where there's war and conflict and being uh, a nation willing to get involved and to come in between and, uh, and to bring uh, a temporary peace while hopefully a solution is found. So that's one of the things we're known for. So I, I was down in Cuba, um, I guess it's 15 years ago, time flies. Um, but when I was there, I had a couple people ask me some important questions when I was there. They said, oh, you're from North America. Are you American? And they said it very seriously, looking at me. And I said, no, I'm Canadian. And then their whole kind of face changed. And they went, oh, you're Canadian. We love Canadians. <laughs> and they treated me totally different as soon as they heard I was Canadian. They're like, oh, you, oh, you, guys, you guys are great. You're so peaceful. I heard that a couple times. And uh, so that was kind of neat. I got to experience that within the world a couple different places when I went to the Czech Republic too. We have a certain identity. People know, think certain things when they see a Canadian. And I just thought that was really neat when we talk about peace because that is something as a nation we value, but it's something that Jesus spoke highly of. And I'm just going to read to you from Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we've been studying the fruits, and peace is one of those fruits. It's how people will know you're a follower of Jesus. They see that in your life, and they go, there's something different. There's something. I see it. So we're going to continue to look at our, our, some of our fruits, and um, there's another verse that really kind of hit me. It's kind of the, one of the main points that I wanted to talk about, and uh, we find that one in Matthew 5, 9, and it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I just thought that was so, so incredible that there's a blessing on you when you're a peacemaker. So, and you're known, that's how you are known as a child of God, because his children will walk as he walked, and when he came to the earth, he was a peacemaker. But I thought it was interesting and I'm going to hit on this a bit more after, but there's a difference between peacekeeper and peacemaker. Okay, there, are, there are different ways of going about getting peace, and Jesus calls us peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Now, we live in a world where drama and conflict are really the focus. I mean, look at the news or TV. What are they featuring when you tune in? The more dramatic or controversial, the better. That's what they're going to feature. Look at headlines of newspapers. Okay, now, this not, don't want to get, I don't want to get political here, but I'm going to use an example from the U.S. presidential election. And it's something that CNN wrote about. And they wrote here, that I'm going to quote their headline. It says, Clinton outspending Trump by $116 million on ads. I'm going to tell you why that's significant. Um, Trump didn't spend much money on advertising at all. He didn't have to. He would just say dramatic or controversial things in every newspaper and media outlet across the country would carry what he said. He didn't spend hardly any money 
on ads. And he won the election, and they said he got more coverage than any other president-elect ever. So he figured this out. Ever hear the quote, there's no such thing as bad publicity? I think he kind of proved that there's some truth in that. So he didn't have to spend money on it because he knew if you say something controversial or dramatic in our culture, it's going to be splashed across the headlines. It's going to go wild on Twitter. It's going to be all over Facebook. It's going to get so much mileage and hit so many people at once that it's going to boggle your mind. Um, kind of strange. Even in Canada that happens, and yet we're peace-loving. But yet what we focus on often is we don't focus on peace. We're focused on the dramatic or the conflict. So our world eats up gossip and controversy. The more outlandish the story, the better. Uh, Forbes wrote an article, and it states that stress-related illness and the related loss of productivity and business in North America because of stress uh, amounts to about $500 billion a year. I think we have a problem with stress. Suicide is on the rise. Mental health diagnoses are rising every year. We were not created to live in chaos and conflict. Our bodies can't handle it. We have to figure out what to do with it. We were created for unity, peace, love, and healthy relationships. Drama may sell, but it doesn't create healthy and whole people, families, or societies. Every time I go on Facebook, I sometimes regret it. I go on there and there's feed of all these controversial, crazy things going on. You really have to be careful who you allow into your, um, your feed or who you allow into your life to um, impact you or direct you with what's going on. I sometimes get off of it. I'm like, oh, I need a moment here. Uh, I can't believe some of the things I read. I'm like, oh, I can't believe that person posted that. It makes no sense at all. Hmm. But... I have a choice. So I want to look at two ways of bringing peace, and I wanted to look at and compare them. And one of them is kind of the way that we've learned as Canadians to handle peace, but the other one is the way Jesus has talked about handling peace. So I want to take a look at first at what is peacekeeping? What does it mean to be a peacekeeper? And I'm going to give you a couple points that I found that are very consistent for a person who's a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers operate under the authority and power of the law. Okay, when we send a peacekeeping team over to another nation, they're enforcing the law, they're enforcing peace by might and by military. Uh, peacekeepers react strongly to the threat of emerging conflict. They want to jump in quickly. They don't want conflict. They don't want conflict. Let's try and veer away from it. Let's try and stop it before it gets there. Peacekeepers try to keep society from getting worse. They just don't want it to decline. Peacekeepers fear the consequences of a failure to maintain balance. Peacekeepers sacrifice righteousness for the sake of peace. Peacekeepers view compromise as one of the greatest virtues. So one example of this is Neville Chamberlain. If you know your history, you might know that name right away. If you don't, I'm going to explain him a little bit. Neville Chamberlain was the Prime Minister of United Kingdom, which was Britain. Um, back in 1938, when Hitler was talking about um, overrunning some countries, the Czech Republic being one of them, and um, he was complaining about land, and he was making all these arguments and saying, look, I need more land. This should have been ours. It used to be ours. And he started to um, really 
um, be a bully, and he was just trying to take and force people to give him whatever he wanted. Well, Neville Chamberlain went and met with him with some other leaders, and they sat down with him, and what they decided as peacekeepers they would do is they would offer him some land in the Czech Republic. Now, they did this without even the, the leaders of the Czech Republic being there. Offer him some land to appease him and to maintain the status quo. We're just going to give him this, and this should stop him. Okay, so they ended up giving him the Sudan land, which happens to be the most militarized area with the most defenses. They gave that to him, and they came back, and Neville Chamberlain proclaimed, peace in our time. We have achieved peace. One short year later, the Germans were overrunning most of Europe because that had only encouraged Hitler. He realized there were weak leaders that he was meeting with, and once he had that piece of land, it was even easier for him to go further and take over more. So it's one example of a peacekeeper trying to appease and find solutions with compromise. Now, sometimes it's necessary to compromise, and sometimes we need to be willing to give before we can get when we're trying to work something out with someone. But there's a fundamental difference. Now let's, take, let's talk about peacemakers. Peacemakers operate in the authority of wisdom and in the power of love. Peacemakers have high hopes and they think the best. But peacemakers also engage in conflict. They don't avoid it. They enter in. They don't try and avoid it going to a point where you have to work things through. They want to work things through. Peacemakers hold the standards of biblical righteousness. They're not compromising. Peacemakers understand that repentance is necessary for true peace to be created. So these approaches look the most different when you consider them in light of eternity. Peacekeepers use threats of violence or the presence of physical power to maintain peace. But peacemakers take aim at the heart of the problem, the hearts of people, starting with themselves. You know, sometimes we need to enter into conflict to achieve peace. There's a scripture I want to look at, and it's often misunderstood or hard to understand, and um, I don't claim to have figured it out, but there were some things I found as I looked into it. So Matthew 10.35 is the verse I want to look at. And it says, Do not assume that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Seems very contradictory to who Jesus was and what he was doing on earth. Jesus didn't come to bring peace? Now I'm confused. Well, what I found out when I was looking into this, I looked up the Greek word for peace that was used there, and it's arene, and it means to be of one accord, to be unified, or at peace. So if we look at that in context of that verse, Jesus is saying, I did not come to unify all people. I did not come to make everyone of one accord. I came to offer people a choice. I came to enter in and bring change. Now, to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of Jesus. We can't be in one accord at all times. Do not assume that I've come to bring unity or make everyone of one accord is what Jesus is saying. So let's dig a little deeper here. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. True biblical shalom refers to an inward sense of completeness or wholeness. Often, if you're in Israel today, when someone greets you, they say shalom, and they are saying, may you be full of well-being or may health 
and prosperity be upon you. If this is the way we understand biblical peace, then suddenly many verses take on a whole new meaning. With this Hebrew thought of shalom, let's take it one, a look at one verse and how that changes the idea of peace. Numbers 6, 23 to 26 says, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. It's a wonderful blessing. Incredibly, incredibly powerful verse. But it's ironic. God told Aaron to bless Israel with peace while they were getting ready to go in and conquer the promised land. If peace means the absence of war, then this doesn't make sense since they would soon be destroying cities. God was referring to an inner peace and completeness brought on by sharing in his countenance and his protection. That was the blessing that Israel needed. Israel was rarely to experience times of outward peace, but even in the midst of battle, they were to have an inward rest brought on by the presence of the Lord. And this is how it should be for us as well. We live in a world where there is trouble, where there is controversy, where there is difficulty. Jesus isn't promising to take that away. He's promising to provide us with an inner peace. That's the peace he's focused on. Often our world is focused on the outer peace, how it looks and how what's going on on the outside, and they forget the focus is in your heart and being at peace in your soul. Now, Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, leave it, live at peace with everyone. But the first phrase of that verse is, if it is possible, meaning sometimes it's not. So sometimes we're not able to be at peace at all times. As a peacemaker, we're not called to compromise, and there will be times when you can't go along with what's happening. So I would say, too, one of the things I've kind of experienced in my own life and I've watched is one of the things keeping people from being true peacemakers is a fear of confrontation. We don't know how to do it. We're afraid of doing it. It can be messy. It can be difficult. It's hard to tell someone that they've done something that hurt you because then you feel like you're hurting them. How do we do this right in a world where that is not the way that is shown to go about peace? Usually what you see in the world is that people will vent, get it out, just ugh, leave it there. You see that on social media, you see that in many places if you watch TV shows, often there's this, this just venting as though that's gonna solve the problem. Okay, or there's talking to someone else about it. You can see that too as one way to solve it. Well, maybe I just need some, um, some guidance, some counsel. I'll go talk to someone else about the problem. Now, guidance and counsel is a good thing. But as peacemakers, we're called to be courageous and make some harder steps if you really want to see change. And, con and con um, sorry, confrontation is a part of it. So I've observed people that avoid confrontation, letting the issue boil in them until it explodes. You can see that. Sometimes you see people, they're like, no, it's okay, it's good. Yep, I don't know, that's all right. No, it's not bothering me. Nope, we're good. And you just kind of see something happening that's boiling, it's starting to build up. My sons watch a show, it's called Blippy. It's their favorite one. Jace will wake up, Dad, can I go watch Blippy? No. 
Okay, we go down and say, can I watch Blippi now? No, no. We're not just going to watch TV. He doesn't forget. But he wa- this one episode talked about, um, it was talking about anger. And so as a demonstration, the Blippi was talking about sometimes people make you angry. So then they did a, um, a f- uh, video thing where it showed his uh, smoke coming out of his ears to let Jace know that that's okay, you know, to let kids know, okay, so when you're getting angry, it starts to build up, and you look like you're going to blow up. And uh, Jace never forgot that. He asked my wife the one day, um, uh, just, she, he just, he just asked her, are you, are you angry, mommy? Are you angry? Is there smoke? Is there smoke coming out? So he's wondering, he's starting to connect it, that, you know, it starts to build. Even he was starting to, to understand that. And I think we all know that. It starts to build to that point where, like, smoke starts to come out. And uh, sometimes you can almost really see it, right? Have you ever been around someone when it's just, they're starting to almost twitch. They're getting agitated, and they're still like, nope, I'm good. Oh, I'm feeling great. And they got this gritted teeth look, and you're like, no, you're not doing good. <laughs> and maybe I'll go stand over there until uh, this passes. Um, that's one way. Another thing is, there are some people who sit down, and they are, nope, that's not going to happen. And they're just firing darts back at you, arrows. They're just, they're quick to respond. Okay, and they can just, they can just totally stop you in your tracks. Okay, and some of us are more quick-witted than others. We can come up with responses and clever things. I'm usually left awake at night going, oh, if I'd said that. Oh, I don't, oh man, I missed, oh, I missed that. Oh, but maybe that's a gift. Maybe God's telling me, you know what? You don't want it the other way. It's harder. Because some of you, I see some people smiling. They're like, yeah, I've got quick wit. I can, and then later, some of you don't go to bed going, if I'd only I'd said that. Some of you go to bed going, I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> and it's hard, right? But we all have different responses to conflict and how we do confrontation. Well, peacemakers are the kind of people who sit down and create an environment for healing and restoration. They engage conversation humbly, admitting, owning up to their own sin and struggles. They realize they can easily be a part of the problem. They talk in a way that is not accusatory. Man, I shouldn't have written that word in there. can't say it. Um, But seasoned with grace. (laughs) The way we talk to people can make the biggest difference. It's not about confronting someone, it's about in how you talk to people. And sometimes you need to be someone who doesn't confront as much. Sometimes you need to be someone who does. So what I wanted to do today is talk about ways that you can go about achieving peace, entering into restoration and peacemaking with people. And I wanted to walk through some scriptures that walk us through that process. And it was, it was actually really neat to look at how many scriptures talk about peace. It's just endless, and I had to really cut some out because it's just, it's such a focus. I mean, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, so it's not surprising that we see that again and again and again through scripture, just this idea of peace. So the first thing, though, I wanted to look at in any of your peacemaking, or, and whenever you're trying to go about finding peace, um, is the idea that you need to have peace in your own heart. You need to be at peace, and the only way you can do that is by being, having Christ come into your life, the Prince of Peace. He is the bringer of peace. If you want to experience peace, you have to enter in and allow him to start to work in your life. To be a true peacemaker, you cannot do it in your own strength because it is countercultural. It is against our nature. And you don't have the strength in your own flesh to do it properly. You need Christ as a part of this process. And that's why he came to earth to offer us a new way and to 
give us an invitation to have them come into our lives. So before I even talk about any steps, you need to know that if you want to be a good peacemaker, you have to have the Prince of Peace working in your life. And if you don't have that right now, that is something you can have. And he will change your life and allow you to do things that you couldn't do otherwise. So I'm going to look at some G's. Tried to make it easy to remember. Um, but the first one I want to look at is in all peacemaking, you are to glorify God. That is your goal. So Romans 14 talks about, and this is from Romans 14, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That is your mandate as a peacemaker. How can I please and honor the Lord in this situation and every situation? When the Apostle Paul urged the Corinthians to live to the glory of God, he was not talking about one hour on Sunday morning. He wanted them to show God honor and bring him praise in day-to-day life especially by the way they resolve personal conflicts. As we mentioned above, you can glorify God in the midst of conflict by trusting him, obeying him, and imitating him. Always ask yourself, how can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? So you always want to think, how can I honor the Lord and please him in all situations? That is your number one step in any and all peacemaking. I want to look at the second G, Get the log out of your own eye. And we read about that in Matthew 7, 5. One of the most challenging principles of peacemaking is set forth in Matthew 7, 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love the imagery here, because Jesus is talking about a speck. And then when he talks about your own problems, you have a log jammed in there. I can't even imagine a log fitting in. It's quite a weird visual to try and see. And Jesus was a master at painting visuals that people wouldn't forget. But he says, you've got a log in there. Can you see properly when you have a log coming out of your eye? No. Now, I don't know from firsthand experience, but I'm just thinking, if I have a log here, I'm not seeing clearly. How am I supposed to spot this small speck in my brother's eye when I have this big log coming out. So you can't see or even know properly what your brother is struggling with, brother or sister, until you start to deal with your own problem. So he says, that's where you start. And there are generally two kinds of logs you need to look for when dealing with conflict. First, you need to ask whether you have had a critical, negative, or overly sensitive attitude that has led to unnecessary conflict. Are you blowing this out of proportion? Did you react wrongly? Did you assume something? that they meant a certain thing when they didn't, based on what they said. One of the best ways to work that through is just spend some time meditating and praying and looking up scripture and finding out, is this a real problem? Which descri- You look at maybe Philippians 4, 2-9, which describes the kind of attitude we're supposed to have as Christians. The second kind of log you must deal with is actual sinful words and actions. Because you are often blind to your own sins, you may need an honest friend or advisor who will help you take an objective look at yourself and face up to your contribution to a conflict. Now, this was something I learned growing up. So I'm, I grew up in a family of 18 people. Now, it, when you have that many people in one house, you have conflict. You have lots of opportunities to try and work through conflict, to enter into conflict resolution. So I got to experience and walk through Lots of opportunities. My parents are very good conflict resolution people, and they would sit us down each time, 
have the different people involved, and I can see a couple of my siblings smiling. They remember some of these meetings where we would have a family meeting. We would meet, all meet in one room, and we'd sit down with our parents, and they would talk us through it. We'd work it through. And one of the golden rules which frustrated me to no end was you were always at fault. You had a part in the problem, even if it was only 1%. And sometimes I claimed it was only 1%, but it was definitely more. Um, probably more like 60 or 70 most of the time. Um, but you had to apologize and own up to what you had done. We were not allowed to leave. We couldn't go into the resolution process without knowing ahead of time we were going to have to own up to something because we were a part of the problem. And that part was the hardest part because sometimes I would be frustrated because I'd be like, nope, nope, my, this is all my brother. He was terrible to me. He said this, he did this, he did this. But I reacted. And in the way I reacted, I was at fault. There's always a part you play. So the first thing that we always had to do, which frustrated me, was we had to own up to what we had done. And that was the hardest part going into every um, resolution or every meeting when we were trying to work through. It was like, all right, what did I do? Oh, I got to figure out something because I did do something. Um, what was it? Um, not going to be allowed to leave the room until I figure it out. Um, better start thinking about it now before I get in there. Um, but it was true, and Jesus talks about that. So that was one of the best things that I got to learn growing up was you have to own it. And as soon as you do that, something wonderful happens when you are talking to someone and you go, and you're angry at each other, and you're trying to work something through, and you go, you know what, I wronged you. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I've been in a situation, even just recently talking to someone, and I said that, and phew, their whole demeanor changed. This big wall came right down, and we were able to enter into a totally different conversation. Um, this individual had a laptop out, and he had a whole list of things he wanted to go through about how he was impacted or upset about something. And when I said that, he closed his laptop. I went, hmm, okay. And we entered into a dialogue. And it was incredible how powerful that is when you go in and you get that log out of your own eye and you go, you know what? Here's what I did. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. Everything changes at that point. Jesus knew that. So that's why it's the first step. When you sit down with someone, you own it, you tell them, this is what I've done. Will you forgive me? The power of forgiveness is unexplainable. When you experience it, you start to understand how Jesus changed our lives when he came in. So the, other, the third G I want to look at is gently restore. And I'm going to use a verse here that maybe doesn't always make you think of the word gently. Matthew 18, 15. I'm going to read it to you. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. I'm just going to read that part first. Go show him. Okay. Here's what you did. <laughs> Here's my list. See this? Not cool. Well, if you read the verse in isolation, it seems to teach we must always directly conf confront someone. If the verse is read in context, however, we see that Jesus had something much more flexible and beneficial in mind than simply standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with others and describing their sins. 
Just before this passage, we find Jesus' wonderful metaphor, metaphor of a loving shepherd who goes to look for a wandering sheep and then rejoices when it is found. That's in Matthew 18, 12 to 14. Thus, Matthew 18, 15 is introduced with a theme of restoration, not condemnation. Jesus repeats this theme just after telling us to go and show him his fault by adding, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. And then he hits the restoration theme a third time in verses 21 to 35, where he uses the parable of the unmerciful servant to remind us to be as merciful and forgiving to others as God is to us. That verse is, is just smack dab in the middle of stories about restoration and about, and about gently going after people and bringing them back. Now, I'm a justice person, so when I read scripture, sometimes I read it going, I can't believe they got away with that. Why didn't someone step in and do something there? So when I read a verse, when I read Nehemiah, he didn't take things very gently when he handled people. When he went back and there was corruption and there were people upset, when he came back to Jerusalem after he'd left, he left them alone for a little while, he came back, everything was all messed up, they were fighting, there was, um, they were uh, charging people money, basically stealing the money of the poor, and he was so upset. And he goes around, and he actually, it says, he goes around and he grabs people by their beards and drags them out of their homes, and he gets a rod, and he starts beating them, telling them, you cannot do that. That's enough. The justice person in me reads that and goes, wow, he really dealt with that. Whew, they won't do that again. And part of me is like, yeah, go Nehemiah. Wow, you just stepped in there, and you made them stop. But that's not what Matthew 18 is saying here. That would just be too simple. That's not a loving approach. Nehemiah had some other things he had to deal with after that, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably had some people a little fearful of what would happen the next time something happened. Um, not a lot of love going on there, but he, you know, a justice person in me is like, wow, like, I see one of my favorite heroes is Batman. Okay, when I look at, like, different um, superheroes, he wasn't afraid to get in there and get messy and just make things happen. He wasn't like Superman following all these straight, very careful rules about conduct and whatnot. Batman would go into the places where he wasn't supposed to be, pop up, solve problems, just leave. It was done really fast. Seems pretty simple. It's not simple. The fallout is far greater afterwards than it would have been if he'd done it a different way. So Jesus is clearly calling for something much more loving and redemptive than simply confronting others with a list of wrongs. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. It's Galatians 6.1. Your attitude should be one of gentleness rather than anger. So even before you talk to someone, remember it is appropriate to overlook some minor offenses. And I'm going to give you a little list, and it comes from Proverbs 19.11. It's kind of based on that, of some things that you can look at. So as a general rule, no offense should be overlooked if you can answer no to all of the following questions. This is the only time when you shouldn't overlook an offense. Is the offense seriously dishonoring God? Has it permanently damaged a relationship? Is it seriously hurting other people? And is it seriously hurting the offender himself? If you answer yes to any of those questions, you need to go and do something to help that person out. If not, you can overlook it. And you can choose um, to just go, you know what, I have to pray this through and work this through. So the fourth G is 
go and be reconciled. It's forgiveness. This is the most powerful part of any, any peacemaking person. This is where God has shown us the example and makes the difference. I think one of the most unique features of biblical peacemaking is the pursuit of genuine forgiveness and reconciliation. Even though Christians have experienced the greatest forgiveness in the world, we often fail to show what forgiveness looks like to others. Sometimes we say things like, I forgive her, I just don't want to have anything to do with her again. I don't know if that's full forgiveness there. I think you're, I'm kind of missing the mark. What if God said, I forgive you, I just don't want anything to do with you again? He doesn't do that, and he's our model. Praise God he never says this. Instead, he forgives you totally and opens the way for genuine reconciliation. He calls you to forgive others in exactly the same way he did. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's another verse too, Matthew 5, 24. Leave your gift here in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. God would rather you have you reconciled with people than to bring him tithes and offerings. He's a God of relationship. He's a God of wholeness. He's a God of community. So one thing we need to remember today as I start to close, um, if the worship team wants to start to make their way up, forgiveness is a spiritual process you cannot fully accomplish on your own. As you seek to forgive others, continually ask God for grace to enable you to imitate his wonderful forgiveness towards you. I'm ending on forgiveness because it is the key to all peacemaking. Christians can only experience peace because we have been forgiven. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks peace. Love is the reason that key is put into the lock, but forgiveness is the key. Some of you are in conflict with others right now. You have talked to lots of other people about what someone has been doing to you, but you have not personally gone to that person. So you need to do that today. I'm going to leave you with a challenge. To be peacemakers and to make a difference in this world, we have to do things differently. We have to be courageous. We have to be willing to enter into those uncomfortable situations that the rest of the world is trying to stay away from. To be in true unity and oneness as a body, we have to be showing a different way because the world is not experiencing peace and unity. And they need to see what it means, and how they can experience that. And we are that example to them. So when we start entering into true peace and being peacemakers, we start to show the world a new way. And that verse that Mark read earlier from John 17 was, God has a, a way of weaving everything together, was the verse I wanted to close on. So thank you for sharing that, Mark, and being, hearing his voice. And it says... In them, oh, I have given them glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. In them and in and you and me, that they may be perfectly united, so the world may know that you sent me and, and have loved them just as you have loved me. The world is looking at us to experience and know how to go about peace. When we are functioning as a body within our families, our relationships, and a church as a whole, when we are entering into peace and going about conflict resolution in the biblical model, we are showing them a different way. We are functioning in unity and oneness. And that is what the world is going to see. And that is what the world is going to come in and go, this is different. This is what I want. 
This is what I need for my life. This is what I need for my relationships. This is what I need for at work with that coworker. I don't know how to deal with it. How do I go about it? This is what I need. That is when we start to be a light to our community. When we start to boldly and lovingly work through our conflict as Christians and as a church, we will truly be a light for the world to see. And this is something that is done continually. I have to continually walk through it again and again. I mess up, I get into conflict, I do things I shouldn't, and this is a process that will be with you for the rest of your life. This is why it is so important. Peacemaking is an ongoing and never-ending way of displaying the love of Jesus. Maybe you need to experience some peace today. The first step to experiencing peace is to ask Jesus to come into your life and take away your sins. Maybe some of you need to do that today. I would encourage you to make that choice today because it'll change your life. Or today there are some people you're being nudged, reminded about that you need to go to. In all the steps to peace, there's a phrase in there, go. It comes up again and again. Go. You can't be a peacemaker if you're not willing to go. They're not coming to you. You're to go and enter in. Talking to someone else about your concerns or problems with someone else is not the biblical model. That's the lie we've been fed by the world. Let's be a place where we have unity, where the world sees Jesus in our relationships and our community. Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.